a good day to gather and worship the Lord together. Uh, I'd like to point out the Groves are here. Welcome. It's good to see you guys. We've been praying hard for you, Carissa, and we're just so thankful to the Lord for answering our prayers, and uh, so welcome. Uh, I hear Logan's uh, going to be headed to Wheaton College in the fall, so that's, that's exciting news too, so Welcome. Last week, we began a new sermon series, because we're, we're talking about kingdom building, and how do we build well? And last week, we saw in Revelation 3, a caution for us all to be watchful as we seek to advance the kingdom of God in the Hudson Valley, so that we don't make the same mistake that the church in Sardis made by drifting from the gospel. And this week... We'll, we'll be in Paul's letter to the Galatian church, and, and we'll see why we must be a church that fights. That kind of sounds strange, right? Especially after singing a song about love, right? Uh, we need to be a, a church that fights if God's kingdom is going to advance through us. But our fight is not out there. It's not about who's in the White House. It's not about politics or culture. Neither is it the church fighting one another for our preferences. No, the most critical fight is the one that takes place in our own hearts. The most critical fight is the one that takes place in our own hearts. If the kingdom of God is going to advance through us, we must fight and win the battles in our own hearts. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26, and I'd like to invite you to stand with me if you're able. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For if the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, open our eyes, open our hearts this morning to hear your word to us. Convict us, Lord. Help us to become more like Jesus today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we need to fight well as a church. I've got three points. The first one is the old fight. Look at verse 17. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The old fight. What is the flesh? This is not a word we use commonly. We don't talk about uh, the flesh today. The majority of the time that Paul uses this term, the flesh is not describing our physical bodies. Instead, he uses this term to describe the default orientation of all humanity to live in rebellion to God, against God. And so when you hear Paul use the word flesh, don't think physical body, think evil desires. Think desires that are opposed to the Lord. Listen to how Paul describes the flesh in in Romans 8. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God. It cannot submit to God. The flesh can't please God. So the old fight is our pre-conversion bent towards a life of rebellion against God. And now look at verses 19 to 21 for Paul's list of the things we can expect when we live out of our flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, all these things. I've, I've heard that living in the flesh can be described as pulling a wagon without wheels. Life goes on, and as life goes on, you pull that wagon forward, but as you do, it just becomes more and more broken. And that's how it goes when we live in the flesh. As life goes on, we become more and more broken. The flesh is really an authority problem. We want to be our own gods. That that goes back to the Garden of Eden. The flesh says, I don't want to play by your rules. I want to make up my own rules. I think that my rules will make me happier. I think that my way will be better. Imagine a director for a movie. He hands out all the scripts and all the actors look at their scripts and they think to themselves, I don't like this part. I think it would be way better if I did it this way or if I changed it in this way. And all the actors decided, you know what, I'm going to play my part the way I want to play my part. I wouldn't want to see a movie like that, would you? It would be chaos. 
It'd be complete and utter chaos. And this is how it is in the flesh and rebellion to God. We don't like the part God gives us. We think we can make ourselves happier if we do it our way. Hear this. The old fight, the old fight of the flesh is one that we must lose. We must lose if we want a place in the kingdom of God. We must lose the old fight. And the only way to truly win is to lose. You must give up the old fight. You've got to surrender. You've got to surrender the old fight. This is Christ's call to all rebels. Stop rebelling and come to me and be forgiven and welcomed as sons and daughters. He paid the price for your rebellion on the cross. He rose again, defeating death, our great enemy, and his victory can be your victory. His life can be your life if you surrender to him. Trust him to forgive your rebellion. Give up the old fight. Surrender. And so when you surrender to Jesus and you trust him to forgive your sin, the old fight is over. The old fight is over. But the fighting doesn't cease once you become a Christian. The fighting doesn't cease. It's not over. The old fight may be over, but the good fight is just beginning. The good fight is just beginning. That's our next point, the good fight. Paul's letter to uh, Timothy, he instructs him to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. In Paul's last letter to Timothy, knowing his death was near, he says this, I, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. What is the good fight? Look back at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. One way to think of the good fight is that, in one sense, the old fight never ended, really. It just changed locations. When we were only in our flesh, our rebellion was internal versus God's external authority. It was our heart versus God out there. But now the fight has moved internal between the flesh and the spirit. Let me explain it this way. When we surrender the old fight and become followers of Christ, something changes in you. Paul explains this change earlier in his the same letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 4, 6, Paul says, and now you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So two things have happened to all Christians. First, when you put your trust in Christ to forgive you, the power of sin that held you captive as slaves was broken. It was broken. Sin no longer has power over you. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And secondly, Paul says that Christ now, this is profound, Christ now lives in us through his Holy Spirit. So the battlefield of the good fight is internal. It's the conflict between uh, the flesh and the spirit within us. Because while the, the power of sin that held you captive was broken, the presence of sin is still a reality. It's still around. The good fight, one way to think of it that I think is helpful, is to think about the difference between D-Day and V-E Day. World War II was won definitively on the beaches of Normandy at D-Day. But the defeated enemy continued to fight skirmishes for 11 more months until Germany unconditionally surrendered on VE Day. So the time between D-Day and VE Day is like the good fight. The power of the flesh has been broken. Our enemy has been defeated. We are no longer slaves to sin, but the presence of the flesh still remains and is opposed to the things of God. And one day, when Christ returns in power and glory, that'll be no more. But until then, we fight. Paul describes his own struggle in Romans 7 like this. He says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. It's hard to miss the struggle there that Paul describes. And this is what Paul is saying to the Galatians in our passage today. Look again at uh, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So while the old fight for the Christian may be over, we now engage in the good fight, knowing that ultimate victory has already been won. It's already been won by Jesus. Now, some have been under the illusion or the impression that that the Christian life should be one of ease and prosperity. If you're doing it right, if your faith is strong enough. But this is simply not true. It's a lie. All you have to do is read the New Testament to know this. Stephen was stoned to death in the book of Acts. Paul was imprisoned multiple times, beaten with rods, stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, and more. We could go on with Paul. He, he, got, uh, he got a lot of stuff. Jesus himself was mistreated, tortured, 
crucified on a Roman cross. The blood of the martyrs has been shed all throughout the history of the church and there's a long line of brothers and sisters in Christ who've paid the ultimate price because Jesus was more precious to them than their own lives. Maybe you're a Christian here today and, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like much of a fight is going on. Uh, maybe you're in cruise control as a Christian and you haven't experienced much fight lately. Try something. Here's an experiment for you. Try this. Try, try intentionally pressing in to knowing Christ more. Maybe set a goal for yourself to spend 30 minutes a day reading the Bible and praying for 30 days, right? Try to do something like that. I, I guarantee you the fight will come to you. The fight will come to you. The flesh in you is going to resist. There's going to be countless opportunities to give it up, to do something else. Oh, I'm tired today or... Uh, you know, it's, it's not really about legalism. You know, I'm, I can take a day off here and there, you know. And a day becomes two days, and two days becomes three days, and three days becomes four days. Try to press into Christ and, and see how the battle comes to you. Whenever I counsel a new Christian, a Christian I, I never um, promise them that their lives will get any easier. I usually tell them that there's a good chance that they'll experience more suffering as a Christian. But while your life may not get easier, it becomes infinitely better. Infinitely better. Think about uh, a neutral country in a war. As long as they're neutral, they're good. People leave them alone for the most part. But as soon as that country swears allegiance to one side, they immediately gain an enemy on the other side. And it won't be long before they start getting attacked. Your life won't get any easier. In fact, it might get harder. It probably will get harder. But it will be infinitely better. Infinitely better. John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the life Jesus offers. Abundant life. This brings us to the third point. What's the battle plan? We've covered the old fight. We're now in the good fight. What's the battle plan? How do we fight in such a way that we experience victory over the flesh? Look at verse 16. Paul says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk here has to do with the day-to-day pattern of your life. It's all-encompassing. So in, in every area of your life, you must choose to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. But what does it mean to walk by the Spirit. Sounds nice. Sign me up. Let's all walk by the Spirit. But what does that look like? What does it mean? How, how do we fight like this? Well, look back at Galatians 2.20. I think here is the key. 
He says again, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life, here it is, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see it? To walk by the Spirit is to walk by faith. To walk by the Spirit is to live by faith. Faith in what? Paul says, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To walk by the Spirit is to live a life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Walking by the Spirit means we stop chasing the mirages of the flesh that promise freedom but gives us only sand. We stop chasing those. And we trust instead in the promises of the gospel. That's one way to understand faith is trust. We trust, we believe the promises of the gospel. It's not just for conversion. It's for life. We must live a life of faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. It's interesting, the flesh and the spirit both promise us freedom. Look at how Peter writes this in 2 Peter 2. They, they promise them freedom. He's talking about false teachers. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. They promise freedom. The flesh promises freedom. Hear this. The promises of sin are always a mirage. We chase after them, seeking satisfaction. We seek fulfillment. We seek acceptance. We seek to quench our thirst, and we only end up drinking sand. Galatians 5, 1, for freedom. freedom. Christ, Christ has set us free. free. Stand, Stand firm, firm therefore, and do not submit again, again to a yoke of slavery. slavery. You know, one of the, the biggest, biggest barrages is the freedom, freedom found, found if we just work hard enough for it. For it. This is legalism. legalism. The occasion of Paul's letter to the Galatian church was that some Jewish believers believe strongly that the non-Jewish believers had to follow the Jewish law, the, the Mosaic law, for them to really be uh, followers of Christ. They had to become Jewish first. The sticking point was circumcision. They wanted them to be circumcised. If you're going to follow Christ, you have to do this. You have to follow the law. If you want him to really be pleased with you, you've got to become Jewish first. I don't think anyone here has been pressured to get circumcised, but I think we know pretty well what it's like to seek to earn favor through rule-keeping. Anyone ever been there? Let's be honest. As Christians, we get caught in this mirage 
more often than we want to admit. At one level, it's because it sounds right. We can quote a ton of Bible verses that tell us to stop doing certain things and to start doing these other things. But if we're not careful, we can just become really busy religious people that, that are void of any dependence on the Holy Spirit. This is because our flesh loves to seek approval through performance. The flesh loves to just latch on to, to law, do this, don't do this, and then you'll be acceptable, and then you'll be welcomed. We even project this onto God, that if we think we do certain things, that, that God owes us a certain blessing. The problem with this is that our performance always sets a low bar. And as soon as we think we reach that bar, the bar just gets higher. Because God's standard is perfection. Just when you think you've obtained it, the bar goes up. Here's an example. Maybe you operate under the impression that there's this you know, baseline of religious activity that will... Uh, make you more uh, favorable with God. Maybe it's reading your Bible for a few minutes every day. As long as I do that, as long as I check that box, I'm good. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in the zone. I'm in the sweet spot. God will think favorably of me as long as I check these boxes off. But then someone in your life group shares about how you know, they get up at 4 a.m. every day. And they pray for their entire neighborhood that they would come to Christ. And now you're thinking, you know, my few minutes of reading the Bible every day doesn't seem like enough anymore. You know, the bar goes up. You say to yourself, God definitely loves that guy more than me. Get up at 4 a.m., you know, I've got to start doing that now. I need to up my game. If God's going to be happy with me, I've got I to do this now. And if you stay there long enough, you start to experience jealousy and rivalry and envy. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. Anyone ever watch those old Rocky movies? Rocky Balboa. Sometimes we operate out of the flesh like Rocky. He had this one line that went something like this. If I can only go 15 rounds with the champ, then I'll know I'm not a bum. If I can only go 15 rounds with the champ, then I'll know I'm not a bum. This is how... Some Christians try to follow Christ. They need to prove to themselves that they can do it. And only then will they feel acceptable. Only then will they know they're not a bum. I used to be a youth pastor, and I know there's teens here. So uh, here's, a, here's an application for teens. Maybe you need to get good grades to know you're not a bum. Or maybe it's getting that part of you, that part that you want in the play or a musical. Maybe that's what you need to know you're not a bum. Maybe it's making the team or maybe uh, getting into the right college. And what happens is if you succeed, it's because you did it and you earned it. And pride starts to creep in. And it's easy to look down on others 
Maybe they didn't study hard enough to get into the school I got into. Uh, Or what happens when you're passed over for the part or you get cut from the team or someone else gets a better grade? Suddenly you may feel anger start to surface. That coach is an idiot. Is he blind? Can't he see that I'm so much more talented than any of those other guys? Jealousy, rivalries. That kid only made the cut because his parents know the coach. Is the director tone deaf? Can't they hear how much better my voice is? That kid probably only got a better grade because they cheated. You start to get ugly, don't you? But the truth of the gospel is that, and this is what we need to be reminded of. Remember, uh, walking by the Spirit is living a life of faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. So we need to be reminded that we're already accepted. We don't need any of those things to feel acceptance. Because we have it already. The flesh is promising something to you that you already have. And we need to remind ourselves of that. And it frees us. It frees us from that burden of striving to know you're not a bum. So when you walk by the Spirit, you're mindful that no matter the outcome, your identity in Christ is secure. You're already accepted by the God of the universe whose opinion of you matters most. So when we walk by the Spirit, we're mindful that no matter the outcome, our identity is secure. He won't love you less if you fail. And he can't love you anymore because you have it all already. Isn't that freeing? We live out of that. When we remind ourselves of this, you're not crushed by someone else's 4 a.m. prayer meeting. Or if you get passed over for the part or you don't make the team because you know that you don't need to earn God's approval, you already have it. It was given to you as a gift. You don't have to prove to yourself you're not a bum because you already are an adopted child of God. Everything that the flesh promises is already yours. So walking by the Spirit is fighting. It's fighting to remember and trust the promises of God, the promises of that we have in the gospel over the mirages of the flesh. But how can we know? How can we know if we're walking by the flesh or by the spirit? Well, I think it's really clear in our text, it's by looking at the fruit. Examine the fruit. There's either the junk food of the flesh or there's the fruit of the Spirit that leads to life. Look at the fruit. In a way, these two lists function as sort of a check engine light on the dashboards of our hearts. 
It's a way for us to know if we're, if we're straying. We need to realize, though, that in isolation, we're often blind to these check heart motive engine lights. And this is because uh, these good and bad fruits are more easily seen in others. We can miss them in our own life, but it's more easily seen in others in community. In community. This is, this is key. It's often other people that can point out when the junk food of the flesh starts showing in our lives. Look at verses 14 and 15. This sheds a little more context to our passage. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. You can't love your neighbor if you're not with your neighbor. You can't love other Christians if you're isolated from other Christians. You can't love people, period, if you're a hermit. You need to be in community. Look at verse 26 in our passage today. Paul says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You have to be around one another for those things to even be possible. And this is why church is so much more than how you feel about, you know, when you sing a song or uh, how, how inspirational a sermon was. And the reason is this. You can get those things on a screen but you have to be around other Christians and community to help you walk by the Spirit. I know this last year has been a challenging year, and and for a while we were online only here at the church, and we did certain things that we felt like we needed to do, and who knows if they were the right things or not in hindsight. But the ideal is to be with one another. I'm not getting down on anyone who needs to stay home right now because of health uh, conditions and concerns. Uh, and so don't, don't hear me beating up on anybody. Uh, let the Spirit do its work in your heart. You know, if, if you're staying home because it's more comfortable and you can get an inspirational message on YouTube and not have to leave the comfort of your own living room, you know, I'll let the Spirit work in your heart there. You can't get the help you need to walk by the Spirit in the comfort of your living room through a screen. Here's my plug for life groups or seeking out a discipleship relationships because it's in community like this that we fight best. We help each other fight to walk by the Spirit. By the way, this is part of what it means to be a member of a church. You commit yourself to the other members that you're going to help them walk by the Spirit. It's not just about getting voting rights at a business meeting. It's about committing yourself to one another, to the brothers and sisters that make up that body to say, hey, we're in this together. I'm going to help you fight and I need you to help me fight. Fishkill Baptist Church, advancing the kingdom of God in our community will happen as the kingdom of God advances in our own hearts. We need to fight 
to walk by the Spirit. We need each other to fight well. But the biggest hindrance to the spread of the gospel is not out there. It's in here. The biggest hindrance to the spread of the gospel is not out there. It's in here. And the greatest power to spread the gospel is not out there either. It's not in a silver bullet program. It's not an outside group that we bring in. All those things may be great. I'm not getting down on programs or groups. But the greatest power for the spread of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the power for the spread of the gospel. It's in you, it's in us. And we need to be watchful, we learned last week. And we must fight well to ensure that we walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Our community doesn't need bright lights and fog machines. What they need is to see the Spirit, the the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's attractive, the fruit of the Spirit produced in, in, the, in the people who love Jesus because of the gospel. But how will a lost and dying world see that we are a people of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? How will they see that? Those aren't things you can observe as you drive by our building and maybe see a full parking lot. You can't tell that we're loving and peaceful and patient and kind. Our lives need to come into contact with actual people. We need to engage with our neighbors. I was convicted a few years ago just the fact that I didn't know most of my neighbors' names. So start there. If, if you're looking for a place to start, go introduce yourself to your neighbors if you don't know their names. We need to come into contact with people who need Jesus if they're going to observe the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We need to be intentional with our coworkers, our neighbors, our classmates, our teammates. And we need to be careful that as we build as a church, we don't become too busy doing religious things, that we don't have time to, to know our neighbors, to be in, active in our communities. Uh, yesterday, something happened uh, that we did not take advantage of, uh, and part, partly because we learned about it too late and couldn't kind of mobilize people. But uh, East Fishkill had a, a town cleanup day. How cool would it have been if we brought a whole crew from our church to participate in town cleanup day and just love people, let them know we care about our town, So let's keep our eyes open for opportunities like that. As you're aware of them, you know, let us know. And maybe we can organize something and get out into our community. And I'll, end, I'll end with this. Here's, here's one example of, of this. I once heard Tim Keller talk about uh, a conversation that he'd had with someone who was visiting his church. And when asked about why he came, he said that it was because of his boss he explained that, you know, I've had lots of bosses and I've, I've learned that bosses in general will take credit for my good ideas and will leave me out hanging when I fail. 
You know, he'll let me take the fall, but he takes credit for my good ideas. But my boss who attends your church was different from every other boss I'd ever had. He gave me credit for his good ideas. And he had my back when I failed and took some of the blame. Then I just had to know what made him like this. He told me about this church. Fishkill Baptist Church, what kind of fruit do people see in your life, at work, in your neighborhood? What does your fight look like? Are you fighting or are you coasting? Are you gaining ground? Is the kingdom of God advancing in your heart? These are things to prayerfully ask the Spirit to search you and show you. This is how the kingdom of God is is done well, it's built well. The fruit of the Spirit on display in each of our lives by fighting to walk by the Spirit. Let's fight, church. Let's fight. Let's see the kingdom of God advance in our hearts and spill out into our community. Let's love our community well, knowing that we're completely accepted already. If we take, if we take a risk and fail, Jesus loves us just the same. But at least we're fighting, right? Let's fight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that for those of us in Christ, we've been crucified with him. And that it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. And so now, the life that we live in the flesh, we live by faith. And the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to walk by the Spirit that we may not gratify the desires of the flesh. And may the people around us in our community, in our jobs, in our schools, in our sports teams, may they see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we fight And may they be drawn to you through the gospel, through your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Mike. Let's all stand.